Welcome to Real Estate Investing in the Real World Podcast. The topic of this episode is predicting final sales price. What your home's going to sell for when you put it on the market. This is one of the single most important skills you could ever master as a real estate investor. It makes or breaks you in house flipping. When you predict correctly, it's a game changer. It allows you to make the right decisions and base your decisions correctly on this foundation of the right prediction. But when you do this wrong, this is how you lose a fortune. And I've had the privilege, the honor to be a part of thousands and thousands and thousands of these predictions over almost two decades now. I've seen what happens when I make the wrong move. I lose a lot of money and my, my entire financial fortune has been based primarily on the fact that I predict correctly almost all the time because that's the only way that a house flipper can actually make any money, right? They've got to predict wisely. So in this, I'm going to share with you a formula that I've developed over all these years to predict correctly so that when a property goes on the market, whether it's fully fixed up or it's as is, that I have pinpointed what it's going to sell for before it does. But before I dive into my powerful formula on how to predict final sales price, I need to clear up a massive misunderstanding. And it's this. People often ask themselves the question, what's my home worth? What's the after repaired value? You may have heard of ARV. What is the value of the property? That is not the same as final sales price. It could be, but it's not always. So you need to strip out or remove using language like value, ARV. You need to use language, final sales price, what it's going to sell for. In fact, some of my older videos actually uses that language of value, and sometimes I do that as a shortcut. But really and truly, I've tried to discipline myself because what we're really talking about here is final sales price, what it's going to sell for, not what the value is. And I'm going to dive a little deeper into that in just a moment. But that's the misunderstanding. Don't ask yourself what the house is worth. Ask yourself the question, what's it going to sell for? This formula for predicting final sales price is about putting on five different hats, five different perspectives of looking at the deal. And so we're going to break down how you look at each deal from these five different perspectives now. The first hat you're going to put on, the first perspective you're going to have when looking at a property is that of a detective. You're going to research everything about the property. Closed comp, active comps, withdrawn comps, uh, expired comps. You want to look at all of the public records on the property. You want to find out what they bought it for, when they bought it, what kind of loan did they use. Did they even use a loan? Where did that purchase come from? Look at previous MLS listings. Did they buy it as a foreclosure seven years ago or was it as a retail sale? You're going to go deep deep inside of that property so that you know more about it than anyone has ever thought about that property, including the original owners. So you're going to go deep inside. Now, one little shortcut. I'm a huge proponent of the software PropStream, and uh, that is a software that allows you to go deep inside. And if you do not have direct MLS access, PropStream can sometimes help you with that. They're doing better than ever with that. 
but at the at the end of the day you still need to have direct MLS access you need to be able to get access to the comparables directly from your local MLS where that property is located become a detective where you go deep inside that property that also means the property itself you need to make sure that you have the correct square footage the correct bedrooms and bathrooms and all the other details that come into reviewing a property because so often the the public records are wrong sometimes a previous MLS is also wrong because the seller may have made some additions to the property that were unpermitted so you're gonna have to be a detective that's the first hat you're putting on the second perspective the second hat you're gonna put on now that you've done your detective work is now I want you to be an appraiser I want you to play the role of appraiser I want you to take the closed comps and in some small instances might be in uh, active comps I want you to have a clear understanding of the difference between your property which we call the subject property as well as those those comparables and I want you to put together what you would consider to be an appraisal report some of you can pay for an appraiser to do this that's another way to do it now I would argue that the very best real estate investors in America are those that can be as good of an appraiser as an appraiser is and many of the people that I have mentored train that are now making over a million dollars a year flipping houses in, in this country what they're doing is they're being their own appraiser so whether you buy it or you become your own either way you put on that appraisers hat now what does that do for you when trying to predict final sales price the main thing it does is it tells you what it's possibly going to appraise for and that plays a key role if you're selling to someone who's getting a loan if you're selling or you're flipping an as-is property all cash to an investor buyer this is not as applicable but you still want to do it but if you're going to be selling to a retail buyer it's absolutely critical because even if the property can sell for a lot more if it can only appraise for let's say 180 it's going to be tough to sell for more than 180 because if, if, if all your buyers are going to be FHA or other loan buyers they're going to have to go through an appraisal so you wear this hat so you can establish what it'll appraise for but there are weaknesses in appraisals as to why this is not the end-all be-all of what it's going to sell for. In fact, I have a video that talks about three weaknesses of appraisals that you need to be aware of. So check out that video. Uh, and that video has actually uh, upset a few appraisers over the years. Now, I, I didn't want to offend anybody, but th these were lessons from the real world. One of those lessons is this. If you're going to buy an appraisal for a deal you're going to flip, do not tell them the sales price. Don't do it. If you, if you tell an appraiser what the sales price is on the contract, that is going to carry a lot of weight when they are making all of their adjustments and what comps they're going to select. See, the appraisal is based on, on both comparable sales but also the adjustments they make. And they, they can vary widely based on which comps they used and in which adjustments and how big or, or, or small those adjustments were. So if you add a sales price to this appraiser's repertoire, to that file, what they're going to do is they're going to make adjustments to get closer to that sales price. Appraisers hate it when I say that, but that's exactly what they do in the real world. So if you're buying a property, do not tell the appraiser the sales price. If you're getting a loan, one of those things, to buy your property, you're going to have to because the lender's going to require an appraisal and they're going to report the contract sales price. But appraisals 
do not always predict final sales price because they're based on closed comps. And the other thing is, not only can they be biased by the, by the uh, contract sales price, they don't always include all of the other things that are so important to selling a property. And they also get mad when I say that, but it's true. And that is, I'm going to give you a perfect example. You'll never see ever on an appraisal report anything related to trees. Never. They don't give any value for gorgeous, huge, canopy-like oaks on the property, or fruit trees, or any other sort of uh, long-established landscape items. They don't do that. And so those things can be of great value to, to a prospective buyer. If you want to buy a large oak tree, by the way, that can be three dollars to $4,000. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> and that doesn't mean it actually is going to survive once you plant it in there. Uh, but it does mean that's what you can pay for it and get it installed. There's some huge value in gorgeous trees as it pertains to a prospective buyer. But that value is not always reflected in an appraisal. Okay, so... You've put on your appraiser's hat, you've determined either a range or what you think it's going to appraise for based on the most uh, reasonable and rational comps to include and based on the most reasonable and rational adjustments that most appraisers in your area would make. So now you're successful there, let's move on to hat three. Hat number three, perspective number three is going to be a listing agent. This one is huge as well. So now we've left the world of appraisal and now we're looking at it from the lens of a listing agent. There's two things that they focus on that an appraiser doesn't. First, they do focus a lot on active comps. Who's the competition right now? If you put that property on the market, do you have 14 other houses just like it that you're going to have to compete with? Or are you the only one on the block? And right now, here in, in, in the midst of COVID 2020, there is the lowest inventory levels in recorded history. So basically, there is no competition. And, you know, buying a house is kind of like getting toilet paper a couple of months ago. It's an absolute free-for-all. I just had a uh, one of my apprentice program graduates text me that he had 80 showings in 72 hours on one of his flips. 32 offers! And he ended up selling it for $30,000 above list price. And he did not try to uh, list it too low just to create that much madness. His assistant was furious having to deal with all those phone calls and all those offers. So right now it's kind of like getting toilet paper to buy a house. But when, when you look at the property from that listing agent's lens, you're looking at your comparable actives. You're looking at those that are already on the market, who you have to compete against with. And that can play a role in what yours ultimately sells for, even if it would appraise for more because you have competition you have to deal with. But then there's another layer that listing agents look at carefully and one that you need to strongly understand. And that is marketability. Marketability. That's its ability to be sold at its highest and best. And a perfect example is right now. If you have a property with a tenant in there, but its highest and best use is as a owner-occupied single-family home, and that property is put on the market while the tenant is in there, and furthermore, let's say the tenant has decided they're not going to move out until at least 2021 because that they know that there's some eviction moratorium in that city, for example, then you're going to have a lot of trouble selling that property to a retail buyer. You've got a tenant in there. So yes, it may have appraised because it might be in beautiful condition. It might have everything perfect from an appraisal report perspective. 
but then you can't sell it for full value. You have a marketability problem. You have a tenant in there, and anyone who's going to buy it is probably going to move into the property, and they're not going to let a tenant sit in there for the next four months. You see, marketability is huge. What if it's staged versus not staged? You've probably seen other videos I have on that. I'm a huge fan of digital staging as opposed to uh, actual physical staging. But then there are so many other aspects to marketability that can play a role. Is the house in, uh, easy to show, right? Is it, is it, or, or do you have to set up showings only on Saturdays at 10 a.m.? That's a marketability issue, and that's something you need to consider. That's the hat you're wearing now as a listing agent. Every potential marketability issue needs to be considered here because this also plays a major role. Now, of course, if you're flipping a house, you're going to make it easy to show. But when you look at the comps, some of those might be harder to show, and that might give you a clue as to why maybe they haven't sold yet. Look, if you're studying active comps, there's going to be a comp or two that's puzzling you why it hasn't sold yet. And that's also what a listing agent will do sometimes with active listings, is they'll go drive over to those other active listings to see why they haven't sold. That's the listing agent hat. Now, uh, you might say, well, Phil, why don't I just ask a couple listing agents to give me their feedback? Absolutely, you can do that too. That's part of this hat. If you want to get a few listing agents to give you feedback, great. We've always been a huge fan of doing flat fee listings when we list properties, so we're not getting feedback directly from a listing agent who's going to list our property. But also, listing agents are a bit biased, right? They're trying to get your contract. They're trying to get that listing agreement from you, so they're going to usually shoot the number a little high because that's what they think you want to hear. So you need to be your own listing agent as well. You need to be brutally honest when you're looking at this from a marketability and an active comps perspective. Whereas if you ask someone else to do it, they may have their own bias toward potentially getting a listing agreement from you. Hat number four. This is who you are. You're a real estate investor. You need to put on your real estate investing hat now, but I want you to put it on from a, a slightly different perspective. You need to look at the downside. What could go wrong? How could things not go as planned? As a real estate investor, you need to constantly be thinking about what could go wrong. So yes, you have the optimism, you hope for the best, but you look at what the worst case scenario could be as well. How do you do that? Study the withdrawn and expired listings. I can't tell you the number of people who've never done that in house flipping. I can't imagine that. You need to look at expired and withdrawns to see the bad side. What went wrong? Which listings didn't sell? Why didn't they sell? Study those. If all you do is study the actives and the closed, you're missing out on this huge universe and body of knowledge that can tell you what could go wrong. If a property was listed for 200 days at 199 and it was basically identical to what your property is going to become when you fix it up, that's something that you need to know. And you could call the listing agents that handle those expired or withdrawn listings. You could ask them what happened. Over the years, I've gotten calls like that before. Hey, you listed a property about six months ago. Uh, it never sold. Could you give me some feedback on that? And so other people have done this, and it's so intelligent. So what I mean by a real estate investor's hat is your money's on the line here. You need to face the brutal truth that something could go wrong with your prediction. Something that you didn't pick up here or here needs to be picked up here. And that is, where are the potential holes? What didn't work out? And the way you know that? Expired and withdrawn listings. They tell you. That's the history of the, of the fallen soldiers, if you will. Okay, so hat number four, real estate investor hat, study what could go wrong.
And now, hat number five, the most difficult perspective for most real estate professionals to ever be a part of, and that is being the judge. What is a judge supposed to be? Unemotional, unbiased. So you now need to take all of this information, all of the different hats you've already worn, and you need to bring all that information together and you need to A, not be emotional about it, not want, because you really need to do that deal, you really need to close a deal between now and the next 30 days. So you need to remove all emotions so you're not attached to the outcome. And then you can't have any bias either. Bias such as maybe you had a bad string of luck the last three deals and your predictions were way off. You gotta set that aside. Or maybe your last three predictions were perfect. And so now you have an arrogance about you. Neither. You've got to be right in the middle. You're neither pessimistic nor optimistic. And you don't have any emotion related to wanting to do a deal because you really need to do a deal. You need to be completely separate from it all. Take all this information and, and then you, you finalize what your prediction is going to be. Now, I don't have time in this to go way in detail on that particular item. That's something that with my apprentices, I, it's like over an hour and a half training with them on all the different ways you can synthesize that data. But suffice it to say, take all the fun stuff you've learned here and make a decision. And making a decision means that you need to write down why you made the decision. Write it down. This is my prediction. This is why I think it's going to sell for this amount. That way, when you put it on the market and it doesn't sell for that amount, you can look back at what your thinking was and you can determine if there are some things that you had uh, made a mistake on, some things you missed. I've been doing this for almost 20 years now, thousands and thousands of times. I have learned and learned and learned and oh, I didn't see that coming. And usually when I make a mistake now, it's because either A, I was not given this detective information from my apprentice, or, or B, I missed something completely that I'd never known about before. And each one of those gets, gets cataloged for me in my brain, in, in my uh, external memory system, my Evernote, that I'm able to go back to it in the future. So that with each new experience, it's compounding on the next one. And this right here, you will get this wrong from time to time. But if you don't make the decision and then write down while you made the decision, it's a lot harder for you to grow from those mistakes. All right, well, that, that's the formula for predicting final sales price. You're a detective, you're an appraiser, you're a listing agent, you're a real estate investor, and finally, you're a judge to conclude after all of this stuff. Well, I'm Phil Pustiowski, by the way, with Freedom Mentor. I've been mentioning this thing about an apprentice program. Well, that is where my coaching team and I we mentor, we train, we take complete beginners and we turn them into money-making machines. Some of the top real estate investors in North America got their start with me and my team. And we can do the same for you. If you're first getting started and a lot of this stuff has kind of gone way over your head, I do have a book that I give away for free on how to be a real estate investor. I recommend that you, uh, you check that out and then download that for free. And lastly, I do want to remind you that the, uh, the topic I was mentioning in appraisers about some of the weaknesses with the appraisals, check out that video too.